Now, Ian Barnes says, Prayer is not a petty duty that we can put into a corner. It is not a piecemeal performance made up of small fragments of time which have been snatched from business and other parts of life. No, our prayer life demands the best of our time and the heart of our time. So let me ask you this morning, how is your prayer life? If you watched a video of your life uh, over the last 28 days in May, what would it tell us about how serious you are about prayer? What about us as a local church? Would you say we are a praying church? Do you think as a fellowship we have a hunger to meet together, to pray together and for one another? Now, over the next three messages, we are going to look at how God wants us to pray. And we're doing this not because I've woken up and said we need to talk about prayer. We're doing this because we've been going through the book of Colossians. And this is Sermon 61 in Colossians. We've been going through it verse by verse. And we have now finally arrived at Colossians 4, verse 2 to 4. Which says this, continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We're going to look at these verses, uh, over, as I said, over three messages. And this morning, I want to look at the first part of verse 2. And we'll complete verse to this evening. In just that first part, which says, continue steadfastly in prayer. What is Paul teaching us here? Well, Paul is teaching us that God wants us to pray with perseverance. God wants us to keep on praying. That's literally what those verses mean. He wants us to keep on praying. To never give up. To be persistent in prayer. Now, there's a story of a five-year-old boy, Daniel, right? One day Daniel is having dinner at his grandma's house, right? They've been invited there. Everyone is uh, seated around the dinner table, and the food, of course, is being served. It's Christmas time, in fact. Now, as soon as little Daniel receives his plate, he starts eating right away. Our children sometimes get ahead of themselves, don't they? They just eat, they get the plate, they start eating. And so his mom says to him, Dan, wait until you, we say our prayer. Little Daniel then looks at his mom and says to his mom, I don't need to pray. So the mom is shocked. Huh? You don't need to pray? Of course you do, dear. We always say a prayer before eating at our house. And then little Daniel looks at his mom and says, that's at our house. But this is grandma's house and she knows how to cook. <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's a bad preaching joke, isn't it? <laughs> but there's some seriousness in it, though. Many of us who profess faith in Christ, sadly, are like Daniel. We see praying as something we don't need to do all the time. There are moments when we can do without it. That's sad, because that attitude is anti-God. 
Paul in this verse is encouraging all followers of Christ at Colossae and us to persevere in prayer against all obstacles and at all times, as he tells the church at Thessalonica. He says here, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now notice something. Do you notice what Paul assumes here? Notice that Paul assumes that new believers at Colossae already pray, so he doesn't say pray. He doesn't command them to pray. He commands them to continue in prayer. Continue steadfastly even in prayer. You see, all true followers of Jesus want to pray. When you repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from sin, God gives you a new heart. You are regenerated. And this new heart that God gives you wants to talk to God. It's how we know actually that a person is a true believer. They have a yearning within them to want to talk to God. You see, there's no real Christian who has zero desire to pray. Charles Spurgeon says, God has no mute children. Just as when a new baby is born, the first thing the baby does is to cry out, isn't it? That's we're looking for signs of life in the hospital. The baby has been born. What are we waiting for? We want to hear the baby to cry out, isn't it? Well, in the same way, when a person has new life from God, they've been born again. We are, we're waiting for a sign, for a, for a sign that they are, everything is well. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for that new life to cry out to God, to, have this, to demonstrate a desire to pray to God. Indeed, not just a desire to pray alone, but a desire to pray with others. A person who has no desire to talk to God is not a true follower of Christ. Zero desire. That's not a believer. Listen, it does not matter whether the person is baptized. It does not matter whether the person is a member of the church. That person does not feel the weight of her sins before God. She does not love God. She does not long to talk to him. She does not feel indebted to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no deep longing in her to become more like Christ. There's no deep crying out in her to, to for God to transform her with life-changing power. Why? She's not yet truly born of God, period. You know, Jesse Rouse says, to be prayerless is to be without God. To be without Christ. To be without grace. And to be without heaven. And then he says, it is to be on the road to hell. Listen, you may be a walking Bible, a walking concordance. You may even serve well in the church, but all of that counts for nothing. The question for you this morning is, do you talk to God? Do you talk to God as well as talking about God? Do you have an inner desire to pray? Do you notice that? I haven't prayed today. You don't feel right about it when you haven't prayed. Beloved, let's take these questions seriously. Because prayer is the litmus test for our spiritual life. Is there a heartbeat there or is the spiritual baby dead? If the answer is that there's no praying, 
you are not yet born of God. And you need to stop right here, right now, at this message. And you need to cry out to God to save you. Tell God, look, I need to be truly born again. I need sign of a heartbeat in my life. I have no true life with you. I am on the road to hell. Save me, O Lord, or I perish. A true believer prays. A true believer prays. That's a given. That's not what this sermon is about. That's what Paul assumes. The problem is that, yes, we pray if we're true believers, but sometimes we are tempted to give up on praying together and praying individually. That's the sin Paul is addressing in this verse. And that's why Paul commands us in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul is saying to the Colossians and us, I know you are praying together. Epaphras has told me about that. I know you're praying and then there are evidence that you're doing this individually. That's great. Well, Vanessimus can testify to that. So, but don't slow down on this. Keep on praying, he's saying. Don't become lazy. Continue steadfast in prayer. Keep the fire of prayer in your belly hot. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, this command is teaching us something important, vital about prayer, isn't it? The praying God wants in the church is not lazy prayer. The praying God wants in your life is not praying here and there when there's a crisis. No, the praying God wants is prayer that perseveres at all costs. It is prayer that knocks on the door of heaven. It keeps knocking, it keeps knocking, it keeps knocking. On God to answer us. It is a prayer that is continuous. It is a prayer that struggles to, 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 to it is it, 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 striving, as it were. And Paul, of course, at chapter 2, verse 1, already makes that point, isn't it? As he speaks of his struggle for the Colossians. And this struggle isn't just individually, it is both corporate and private. But we struggle doing that. We are struggling doing that in our lives and together as a church. You know, since I've been here for the last six years, we have tried prayer in so many ways. When I first arrived here, we tried prayer in the evenings. He said, no, let's not have an evening service proper, full, full on, as it were, right? Let's integrate, integrate prayer as part of the evening service. And you may have thought about that. Why don't we do that? I've tried that, right? We try that. Not well attended at all. And so I, I thought, we had some new people join us at the time, and they thought, we need to pray in the morning. I thought, that's new. Yeah, we need to try that. I think when I used to visit this church before I started become a pastor here, they did have a bit of prayer in the morning. Right? So let's try that. I did a calculation at home, and I think it's 10% attendance. Now, currently as a church, we're praying every other month after church service. Not every month, 
every other month after church service. And I think, I did a calculation again, I think on a good Sunday, it's about 30% attendance. That is, you have come like this, and we say, let's pray after just we finish. The church empties 70%, 30%. Average remain. Now, we're also praying Wednesday at lunchtime, a difficult period, just really to help those working from home who are really having a pressure time at, when they're working from home. They just need an hour, because I used to enjoy that when I was at work, just to break for an hour. And I thought, oh, if we can do that, let's keep it tight, one hour. You come in and out, right? We try to be on time. And perhaps those who are elderly or etc. Not everybody can come to that, of course. How are we doing with that? Well, less than 5% attendance. Just by my mind, based on who's here. I calculate about 5%. Yes, it's a while since I did uh, A-level mathematics, but I can tell you it's uh, 5%. I'm not mourning, I'm just making an example that we struggle with that. Uh, and I'm mentioning this because I hear ideas for prayer all the time. I haven't tried Friday evening. Maybe we should, right? But my guess is we struggle with corporate prayer as a church. And I would say this is not unique to us. I speak to pastors all the time. And this is a big issue everywhere. What about private prayer? Well, we struggle keeping on praying together because we're no prayer warriors in private. The answer suggests itself, doesn't it? I used to be part of a chess club. I enjoy playing chess, and I used to be part of a chess club. Why did I decide to join a chess club to go around competing? It's, it's an interesting thing, around the areas. Why did I decide to do that? Well, because I had a passion for chess. I have a passion for chess. And at that time, my passion was very high. And so it was not enough for me just to play here and there. I needed more of chess playing. I wanted to enjoy the game more. I wanted to band with others. I wanted us to see, to, to, to have the thrill, not just individual victory, but of shared victory as a club, right? I wanted to see us rising up the chess rankings, right, the league table. You see, my private passion for chess led me to have communal passion for chess, to play alongside others. In the same way, beloved, if we have a private passion to talk to God, it will lead us to have a passion to pray together with other people. Listen, I have never met a serious prayer warrior in private who I've spoken with, I get the sense they are praying continuously, who never treats praying together as a serious issue. The first sign we are backslidden in our private prayer life is that we don't regard praying with other believers as important. Now this is true that many of us who profess faith in Christ, not just here, but everywhere, have a poor prayer life, corporately and privately. This truth has been documented in many books and sermons. I'm sure you've heard it before. Ian Bounds says this, one of the greatest sins in the church is not gossip or addictions. It is a sin of prayerlessness, of leaving God alone. Oswald Sanders says, if I want to humble anyone, I just need to ask him about his prayers. The topic of prayer brings sorrowful self-confession. Now, <clears throat> this awful truth that many of us who say 
we are followers of Christ, in fact, do not like talking to God. As I thought about it, it filled me with shame and sadness. It should fill us with shame and sadness. To say we are followers of Jesus, to say we believe that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, to believe that Christ, to say that we say he ascended into heaven, he's there interceding as our high priest, and yet there is no sign that we are earnest about prayer that should fill us with deep shame and sadness. Why shame and sadness? Because as I thought about this command, continue steadfast in prayer, that we must keep on prayer, it reveals to me something wonderful about the loving heart of God. This command is saying to all true followers of Christ, it is God speaking through Paul, and God is saying, Paul is saying to us, God loves you. You are his child in Christ. He loves to hear you speak to him. He wants you to open your heart to him. As I read this verse, continue steadfast in prayer, I'm hearing God saying to me, I want you to come to me for all your needs. I don't want you, children, to be begging the manufactured gods of this world. Come to me in prayer. I am hearing God saying, I love you. Talk to me. Not only when you want things from me, but because you love me. This command to endure in prayer, beloved, is not coming from a tyrant like Assad or Duterte. It is not coming from God because God has some sort of ego to maintain. We think when God commands us to pray, somehow God has an ego to maintain and he needs us to pray to him because if he doesn't, we don't pray to him, sort of his ego is damaged. No. Beloved, God is not commanding me, as I thought about this, to pray because God feels lonely. To my shame, I sometimes treat my God like he is worse off without me, without my prayer. I foolishly treat my king like somehow he needs my prayer. Oh, precious Father, forgive my wretchedness. I behave like I'm doing you a favor. You're my God, the great I am. You are not like the false idols of the nation that need or to feed on human prayers and sacrifices. Those are the gods of the nations, isn't it? The God of the Bible is the great I am. He is self-sufficient. Paul talks about this in Athens. God doesn't need things. He himself is self-sufficient, self-existent. Beloved, our God, get that, does not need anything. A.W. Tozer said, need is a creature word. God doesn't need our prayers. The God of the Bible is self-existent. He doesn't need your prayers. 
So why is God then commanding you in verse 2? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Why does God command us to keep talking to him if he doesn't need our prayers? Well, why do you need to pray anyway? Sometimes people ask me, why do we need to pray if God does whatever he chooses to do? Now, yes, God, it is true that God always does what he wants. He's sovereign. And it is also true that God often waits for us to ask him before he does something for us. Don't divorce these two truths. They are related. God always does what he wants. And God often waits for us to ask him before he does what he wants. Why is that? Well, because it is clear. Our God not only ordains the end, he also ordains the means to get to the end. And he has ordained prayer as the means through which he showers his love for us. Prayer is the vehicle that God has designed to bring blessings from his throne down to us. God wants us to pray before he gives us things we want. And that makes prayer, beloved, critically important. The Puritan Thomas Watson says, Prayer is the key of heaven, and faith is the hand that turns it. Did you get that? Prayer is the key of heaven that opens God's riches, and faith is the hand that turns it. Now remember that faith is also a gift from God. It is often only when we pray, I'm not saying all the time, but it's often only when we pray that God acts on our behalf. And the prayer that God wants is continuous, persistent prayer. Now there's grace in prayer, isn't it? This is the grace of prayer. Because remember what I said about God. God is sovereign over all things. And he causes all things in accordance with his will. And yet God graciously gives you the invitation. To be involved. As Brother Rob reminded us on Wednesday, he says, or is it what we meant on Thursday, he said he just doesn't like doing things on his own. <laughs> That's true. God wants to work in through us. And he's ordained prayer as the means through which he does that. He wants us involved in receiving love from him as we pray to him. What a God. What a God, beloved. God wants you to persevere in prayer, not for his benefits. He is self-existent. He has no needs. He wants you to persevere in prayer for your benefit. God loves you in Christ, and he wants you to not only enjoy his love through prayer, but to be involved, to partner with him. We are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, created to do good things. Which God did what? Ordained beforehand. There is a sovereignty of God applied in the here and now. And so he commands us in verse 2, isn't it? Continue steadfastly in prayer. God is saying to us, I want you to persevere in prayer together as a local church and in your families, as in your homes, and individually. Those three things are important. Persevere praying together as a church. Persevere praying together as a family. 
persevere praying together individually. Now, if you are a true follower of Jesus this morning, none of this is new. I have not said a single thing this morning which you didn't know before you came here. You have read the Bible, haven't you? You know the parable of the friend at midnight. You know the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. How does the Lord Jesus start that parable? Luke 18 verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You've read that. You've read that. It's not new. You also know 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. Pray without ceasing. You know all of this. You know many examples of people in the Bible who persevered in prayer. If I told you who prayed in the Bible, you tell me. Abraham persevered in prayer. Remember how he interceded before God for Lot? You can, some, of the, some of you may remember Jacob wrestling in prayer. Others here may mention Hannah. How she prayed for the Lord to grant a blessing of Samuel. Some here may remember Daniel and this continuous prayer that even the non-believers could indict him on because they knew Daniel obeyed this. He continued steadfastly in prayer even against the order of the king to his own cause. That's steadfast in prayer. And what of David? We owe the entire psalm, most of them to David. The hymn book of the Bible, full of prayers. And should we mention the Lord of glory himself? He prayed continuously. But I wrote again on Wednesday, reminded us as we, one of the Wednesdays as we were walking across, as, as Jesus walks across that water, what has he been doing before he, he has this amazing miracle of walking across the lake? For some distance, I would even say. He has been praying. And when did he start praying? He was praying after doing a great miracle. He should have been tired, but he went up the mountain to pray. After praying, then he walks on water. We know all those stories, don't we? And can we, we know about Paul. Books have been written about the prayer life of Paul. My point is, as I was preparing for this message, I realized you know all of these things. So why did I decide we should have three sermons on prayer? Why did I decide that particularly, let us focus on this phrase this morning. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Why am I spending time focusing on this one on commandment? Well, because just like the Colossians, there is still a part of you that resists prayer. You know all of these things. But sadly, there's a part of you that somehow does not want you to keep on praying. Yes, you are a follower of Christ. Yes, you have received a new heart. There's some evidence of a heartbeat there. You are born again. Christ is in you. The hope of glory. But yet you are not what you should be. Especially in prayer. There is a still a root of fallenness in you. The flesh. That doesn't want to keep on talking to God. That doesn't want to grow in fellowship. Shocking. It's shocking. You believe, you know and believe in the gospel, but yet there is still some unbelief in you. Now, you don't doubt that God is real. Everyone knows there is a creator. 
Everyone does. Everyone knows that creation didn't create itself. I mean, that's just a scientific and philosophical impossibility. Every single human being believes in God. You see, what human beings disagree about is not whether there is a God, but what is, who is he? What is it? Some may even ask it that way. What is the true God really like? Does he care? Can I know him? Is this God a machine? Is he some impersonal force of life? Like we learn in evolution? Is he somehow part of creation? Or is God a person I can relate to? Does, did this God create me because he wanted to be with me? Because he had real personal interest in me. Do you see? The issue of the existence of God is relational. It's not, is there a God? There is. There has to be. <laughs> but who is he? And what is he like? It boils down to relationship. Now, if you are a true Christian, you know the answer to that already. You know that our God is not a God made with human hands. He's not the God of evolution. He's not some sort of unguided force that is part of creation. No, we believe that the true God is a transcendent person. That is to say, God, as amazingly, who is above all things, above space and time, this God has become imminent. He has entered in our universe. And he has revealed himself to us in Christ. The transcendent one has worn our flesh. Christ is God with us. Now, again, you know that. You hear it every Christmas. And I hope you hear it very regularly when the Bible is being preached here. You know that. But there are times you doubt that truth. You do not always relate to God as the person who truly does love you in Christ. That's the issue. You struggle to pray with perseverance because sometimes, because you sometimes doubt the truth of the Bible. You sometimes doubt that Christ is really reigning. He's our ever-reigning king. You doubt sometimes that Christ has, has risen from death and he's ascended there and is forever interceding for you. Now, you may protest and say, Ah, Chola, how, how can you say that? How can you say that? I've spoken to people before and they've told me, I've never doubted God. And perhaps you're thinking, it's harsh of me to say that you sometimes doubt the truth of the Bible. But you do, friend. You do. If you don't doubt, why then have you not prayed for even 30 minutes non-stop this past week? Why? It's not business. You have time for Instagram. What's up? Making those calls with friends. You have time. It's not a time issue. You have time with your kids. The question is, why is it so burdensome to you to talk to not only your creator, but one who bled on that cross for you? 
Why do you love reading and talking about the Bible? But not praying the Bible back to God regularly. Why is there that gap? We can talk good theology, but we can't pray back to God. Why is there a gap that our churches, reformed churches I'm speaking of now, sit on this amazing historic heritage from 1600? But I tell you, none of these churches pray even remotely close to my mother who never learned properly the doctrines of grace. None. What, what is going on there? What is going on there? Is it not, friends, because there is a gap between your head and your heart? Is that not the reason? Your prayerlessness is rooted in your unbelief about who Christ is. It's that simple. You should vow to never deceive yourself. Be honest with your God. He knows it all. There is a gap between your head and your heart. I am not saying you are not a true Christian. I'm saying you are prone to backslide. And you need to cry out to God today to revive you. Revive your prayer life. Because you see, until you accept this sad truth, this sad truth about the state of your heart, then, eight, then the last 40 minutes, I'm counting, 35 minutes, I've been wasted. We've wasted. In fact, we've wasted the entire morning. Beloved, you simply won't grow in your life if you reject the fundamental truth of this gap between your heart and your heart. All the other things that makes us struggle with prayer comes down to one particular sin, the sin of unbelief. Think about prayerlessness uh, being driven by self-reliant. Why are we self-reliant? Some people say we don't pray enough because we're self-reliant. That's true. But why are we self-reliant? Because we don't believe in who Christ is. We do not believe that he's the Alpha and the Omega. That all power belongs to him. Because if we did, we would not depend so much on us. We would go to him, wouldn't we? We can carry on. I'm just saying, unbelief is an issue. Now, of course, there's a second problem outside of us that makes it hard. And that is we face opposition, not just from our flesh, but also from Satan and the world. Satan in particular tries to stop us from praying together and individually. You see, prayer is spiritual warfare, isn't it? Satan knows that if we battle him on our knees, he will lose every time. Christ, before he goes to, he dies on the cross, where does he go? What does Christ do before he goes to the cross? He enters Gethsemane, isn't he? He's battling Satan on his knees. And Satan is already crushed before Christ dies on the cross, as it were. Satan knows that, so he does not want us to persevere in prayer. And so what does Satan do? Well, what Satan does is, you see, he tempts us into sin. He tempts us into sin, to commit some sin, to entangle ourselves somehow. 
And when we give in to some sin, the devil then turns around and says to us, You see, there's no use to pray now. There's no use to pray. God will not hear you now. You just sinned against him. Perhaps you've just been angry with your wife. And the devil says to you, look, just, the same mouth, you just be angry and shouting at her now. You think God is going to hear you? The devil is sort of right, but he's missing the point. Because he forgets that our God is a God of grace. And that our sins in part, in, in our sins, not in part, but the whole, have been nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. He forgets that God has planned our deepest sin in the bottom sea of his forgetfulness. But the devil discourages and sometimes he succeeds, doesn't he? And, and sometimes he discourages us by telling us, you know you prayed for this and that, and God didn't give you that. So why bother to ask him now? And because of our folly, we stop praying. We forget that God, again, is full of love to us. He gives us many things we don't pray for. And he gives us more than we ask for. Ephesians 2, verse 20 to 21. Far abundantly beyond what we can think or imagine. Beloved, don't forget how much you've been blessed by God. The air you're breathing now, did you pray to breathe that air? Even this morning, did you say, Lord, I breathed last week, please give me an additional measure of grace just so that I can breathe it today. You just assumed it. You didn't pray for the air. God gave you that as a gift. You're a follower of Jesus. God chose you before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1. Did you ask God to choose you before the foundation of the world? No. You weren't even in existence yet. That's a blessing from him. You see, we can go on. We forget most of the blessings. I would say 99.9999 forever, right? Percent. We never even pray for them. God just gives them. But we know more than that. Even for the things we pray for, we know how many times God has answered our prayers. God always, God answers our prayers, doesn't he? Not at times when God says, no, I'm not going to give you that. But because we know God gives us even without asking and he blesses us a lot when we ask when we ask him, we know that when God says no or wait, it's for our good. He always has something better in store for us. I'm not saying we're always going to understand it this side of the world, this side of heaven. But one day we will. We'll look back and say, ah, that's what you are up to. Now, we know that already, right? But as I said before, sometimes we allow our unbelief, our doubts, the work of the enemy to stop us from praying with perseverance. And that's why God has brought us here this morning to remind us from verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Beloved, this is not a random injunction that Paul has added. Remember where we are coming from. That's why I asked Brother Victor to read from verse 12. And he could have even read from chapter 1, verse 1. Because Paul has been talking a, a lot of things we need. And particularly in chapter 3, he has been talking about that. Paul, what Paul is saying now is that all of these things, all of these things I've commanded with you, you to do, you can only do them if you pray. Do you want to grow in the things in chapter 3? Continue steadfastly in prayer. 
Do you want to see people in this church delivered from the wrath of God to come? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Do you want to see people in this church uh, put anger, malice, slander, lies to death? Continue steadfastly in prayer for us. Do you want us to be a church that is united regardless of age, background, or gender? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Do you want to be more compassionate hearted? Kind, humble, meek, gentle, forbearing. Are you struggling with forgiveness? Is love a challenge for you? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Do you want to be a better husband? Do you want a better husband? Do you, wanna, do you want to be a better wife? A better parent? A better child in the home? Do you want to be a better worker? Do you want to be a better student? It's not in your strength. It's in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Are you preparing for marriage? Do you want your marriage to work out very well? Continue steadfastly in prayer for it now, not before you get married. You know, Robert Mary McShane says, what a man or woman indeed we can say is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. Have you heard that? What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. We can never rise above our prayer life. This church can never rise above its prayer life. Do you want to know how we're doing spiritually as a church? Attend those prayer meetings. That's the spiritual temperature of the church. You see, when God wants to bless us, he first makes us keep praying for it. Now, the good news is that If you are a true follower of Jesus, at the call of your being, you want this. You're hearing this and you're not like, you're not saying, oh, I'm going to go to bed. Oh, it's only in the morning. You're not saying that. You're saying, I want to hear more of this. I want to pray more. I want to be challenged to grow deeper in prayer. I need this. My life depends on it. This truth is resonating with you. Why is it resonating with you? Because the Holy Spirit who lives in you has given you new life. He's saying, this is the truth. Walk in it. And so you are listening. Not as lazily listening. You are listening on tenterhooks. You are already asking in your heart, I want to grow to be more like this. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I realize prayer is the means for me to do that. So how can I do it? That's what you're asking. Shola, tell me, how do I do it? Well, three quick things of how we grow in prayer, and then I'll end here. How do we respond to this truth? How do we pray with perseverance? Three things. First, the first thing you need to do is thank God for the gift of prayer. You need to appreciate just what God has given you. You can't do anything with prayer unless you're thankful for it. You and I do not deserve to speak to God. We were born in this world as spiritual rebels. We were born in this world with our spiritual weapons pointed at God. 
We were under the wrath and judgment of God. We were heading to hell, bound for hell. But the good news of the Bible is that God sent his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on the cross. To cleanse us from our sins. And to give us a new life. Christ died for us. Thank God that Christ died for us. Because, because Christ died for us, we have been given a gift of faith to believe and trust in him and a new life to pray out to him. Because Christ died for us, we are now welcome before God. If you're a true believer, you have immediate and direct access to God. So thank God that you are able to pray to him. Thank him that he hears you and, and you are his child. Oh, beloved, I mean, if I wanna, really want to get something into you today, it is this. Recognize the privilege of prayer. Right now, we are in the pres- presence of the Lord of the universe. The omnipotent God. Recognize that right now, beloved, there is no barrier between you and God. You are living in his holy and powerful presence. Amazing. It's even more amazing than that. Right now, Jesus stands in heaven praying for your prayers. He is the great high priest. We have that image in Revelation of the incense, the, the, of the sense going up to the, you know, from the altar, I think, it's, the, the incense is going up to, to the Lord, right? To the throne of God. Well, that's a picture, isn't it? Christ brings, he makes our prayers acceptable to God. He, he sweetens them as he's praying for us, interceding for us. Wow. All these are blessings from Christ. That's a privilege of prayer. And you have the Holy Spirit living in you. We don't know how to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with words too, with groans too deep for words. That's the privilege of being a child of God. The non-believer can't pray. The only prayer that God... Listen, the only way an unbeliever's prayer can be accepted to God is if the Holy Spirit regenerates them, gives them life, and then takes those prayers before God. Be thankful. Secondly, the second thing you need to do is to repent. Repent that you don't place a high priority on prayer. Beloved, let us repent that we don't prioritize meeting together for prayer. Let us repent that we don't make an effort even to lift up the phone to call the other person and to pray with them over the phone. We can do that. Let us repent for how little we are praying in our own time. As I said, let us repent that this past month we haven't really prayed. Individually, many of us. Let us repent that we keep hearing sermon after sermon about prayer in this church and and nothing is changing. Let us cry out to God for that. Let us be honest with him, Lord, we are slow to surrender to you. Please forgive us our sins. Husbands and wives, as I thought about this, let us repent really for how little we pray together in our homes. And again, this goes back to linking back to the sermon last night. Last week indeed, yes, seems like a long week. Parents, this is an area for repentance. You're not modeling this to your children. You want your children to pray, but you've got to lead and Father, you have to lead in this. You have created a home in which there is just prayerlessness. 
Prayerlessness. I'm with you. This is a struggle for me too. We need to get this right. Repent that your selfishness stops you from prioritizing spending time in prayer. Individually. With our families. And with the church. And let us be clear what we mean by repentance. We want true repentance. That's the repentance God wants. Repentance is 180 degree turn. You've been going in one direction, you change direction. Let us not take God for a fool. God will not accept simply paying lip service of prayer, I've repented without a change of behavior. There must be a dynamic shift. There must be a change of heart. We must be like Zacchaeus. One minute we're living this way, the next minute we're surrendering everything to him. That's the repentance God wants. Don't take God for a fool. It's that serious. Finally, pray to God for help, isn't it? And we'll end here. Pray to God for help. We need to pray to God to help us grow in our prayers. And God will answer us. It is what he wants. As I said, our God is full of grace. We are still the apple of his eye. The blood of his son, the Lord Jesus, has cleansed us from all our sins. As Brother Victor read for us from Colossians 3 verse 12, we are his only beloved and elect children. Nothing can ever change that. So this morning, let us beg this God who loves us in Christ to make us grow in talking to him. As a church, as families, and individually. Let us ask him for fresh strength to pray. This morning, let us say to God, Lord, I don't want to feel so dry towards you. I don't want to wait until heaven to enjoy your love. Help me to love being with you. Help me not to allow busyness at work and home and other activities to get in the way of praying together as part of a church at home and privately. Say to God, for too long, for too long, I have given too many excuses for not being fervent in my prayer life. Move my heart, O Lord. Move my heart, O I perish. Make prayer the heartbeat of my life. Help me not just to pray when I'm here on the Lord's day. Help me to keep praying with others during the week and to talk to you in every moment. I honestly believe if you genuinely pray that, God will answer you. Nothing will delight God more than answering that prayer. He's going to send you help. He's going to be there along the way with you. And you grow. You move. You could even move this nation for God. The prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Elijah was just one man. Just one man. And he prayed that it did not rain. And it didn't rain. He prayed again for it to rain and it rained. If you pray, if you seek God... You help you. So then to conclude, before we have the Lord's table, what is the main takeaway this morning is that, what is it? Well, God wants us to keep on praying. The praying God wants is the persevering prayer. Well, may the Lord help us then to pray.